Well, good morning. Uh, as you can see behind me, we're in the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 1, if you haven't uh, been here in a couple weeks or uh, are joining us this morning. Uh, we haven't gotten too far. We're actually going to be focusing on Joshua chapter 1, verse 2 this morning as we're looking at this series uh, about a journey to the promise and what God has promised us as we're going to take a lesson from what He promised His children here in the Old Testament as well as uh, where He was leading them and how they were to get into the promise. Um, my, my prayer for you this morning has been this week is that this message this message this morning um, will be a liberating message. Uh, I believe it's going to be a challenging message for many of us as it's challenged me just sitting with God's Word and what God has spoken to my own heart and, and before I could even preach this sermon. Um, but I believe that it comes from a place of, as we just sang, the way, the truth, and the life. And that's ultimately what God wants us to be in, is the life that He promises us in this abundant life. And so when it comes to our passage this morning, uh, there's a truth that we're going to find that in being a part of God's promise uh, sometimes calls for things to be removed or to die off. Uh, several years ago, um, been about 10 now actually, I think about it, uh, I was in a ministry position at a very difficult church. Uh, it was a very growing time in my life. It was a very challenging time in my life. And uh, I was a youth pastor at that particular time, which is full of counting blessings, right, Jason? Yeah, uh, that, I mean, that's your theme song for youth ministry, count your blessings. And, uh, and so it was a difficult time, and, and we were seeing youth and students come to know the Lord, and the youth ministry was growing, um, but the atmosphere of the church was, was not happy because we weren't doing things according to the way they wanted it done, or, or the kids that were coming weren't the way they thought they should look or act and things like that. And, and so we started hitting a lot of roadblocks uh, as far as things we were wanting to do to attract more students so they could grow in their relationship with God or, or come to a relationship with God. And it just became very frustrating. It's like hitting your head against the wall type of thing. And so I reached out to my dad um, who uh, my dad at that point in time was in the ministry for 30-some years, and now he can say he's been in the ministry for 40-some years, and just reach out to him and let him know what, I'm going, what I was going through, what I was struggling with, and, and I was just feeling defeated. And my dad proceeded to tell me a story of when he first started in ministry at a church he was a pastor at in northern Missouri, and he just got there, and uh, he wanted to reach out to the community. He was a small Southern Baptist church in a small town. Um, and so he wanted to reach out to the community, not just be a church on the street. And uh, as he decided to do certain ministries and activities, there was a particular woman in the church, uh, an older woman, who fought tooth and nail about any sort, anything that was new. Um, and anything to reach out to the community, just tooth and nail. And because the church itself feared this woman. I don't know if you've ever encountered an, an older woman in church that people just fear. Um, that she, she or he, it can be a man at times too, just hold so much weight that people just kind of like, you know, they're pleasant, but they really try to avoid that person. Um, that was this individual. And I was so young, I was unaware of what was going on. But uh, my dad got to a place, as he told me, that he was trying to decide if he should move on and, and wipe the dirt from his shoes or his feet or if he was supposed to stay here. And God reminded him that God called him to this church, to pastor this church, to minister to this church and do the ministry here. And so God, my, my dad's prayers began to change. 
that he started praying that this woman's heart would be softened or God would somehow remove the opposition that she was creating so that the ministry could begin to expand. And my dad tells me this story, and as he tells me, he says, within a week of his prayers changing, this woman died. She was a believer, but because she was in the way of what God wanted to do, God took her home. And there are things in our life that that has to happen in order for us to step into the promise of God. And there might be things in your life this morning that are keeping you from the promise and the presence of God that needs to be removed and needs to, be die, needs to die off. And this is what we're dealing with this morning as we look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. The word of the Lord says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. As we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Moses has been the leader of Israel for 40 years. He is, he's been leading them through the wilderness. He's providing for them. He's been dealing with them and ministering with them and their grumblings and their complainings all to this point. Deuteronomy chapter 3 tells us that they're on the verge of the promised land and the Lord reminds Moses that you're not going in. You're not going to lead this people. And Moses at that point begs God, please just let me go in. And God gets so upset with Moses. This is the one that there was no one like Moses in Israel since. This is the one who met with God face to face. God gets so upset with Moses that he says, do not bring this matter up again. And this is the reason that we come into chapter Two, or chapter 1, verse 2, that Moses has died off, and there's significance to that that we can pass over so easily. It goes back to an event in Numbers chapter 20 that is very similar to an event in Exodus chapter 17. What happens is Moses is leading the people of Israel. They're a young, freed people. They've just come out of Egypt. And both situations in Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 20 deal with a grumbling about water. The people of Israel are thirsty. They have a real need. And so who do they grumble to? Well, who do we grumble to in church? The leaders, right? And so they go to Moses and they go to Aaron and they grumble. They complain, we're thirsty. Did you bring us out here to die? And in Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 20, it's a very similar situation, which a lot of people believe is the same story, but it's not. It's a similar situation to which Moses acts in an act of disobedience and a lack of faith to which leads him to not be able to go into promised land with Israel. So in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites just come out, they just come across the Red Sea, and we read just before that that Miriam has praised the Lord for the deliverance of the people. But when you go to Numbers chapter 20, the thing that leads up to that event with dealing with water is Miriam has just died. So we know it's a different situation. On top of that, you have the first month that they're coming out of Israel in Exodus, whereas in Numbers chapter 20, at the beginning of Numbers tells us that it's the second year, so it's a year later. We're both told the situations. One happens in the wilderness of Sin, which is in Exodus chapter 17. The other in the wilderness of Zin, which sounds very similar. And we can read that and say, well, maybe it's just a typo or something. But it's not. These two locations are separated by 150 miles. And you, we can find them on a map. 
So we have a similar situation, a similar grumbling going about. But one incident, Moses is obedient in Exodus chapter 17. And in one in Numbers 20, Moses is disobedient, which leads to him not being able to go into the promised land. So what happens? Well, Moses is given a similar situation. The people come to him and say, hey, I'm thirsty. We need something to drink. We're going to die out here, which makes sense. They're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. It's hot. There's a lot of people, a lot of people to take care of. In chapter 17, Moses takes the grumblings to the Lord. The Lord tells Moses to take the staff that brought you through the Red Sea and to go and to tap this rock and water will come forth and it'll bring people the water they need to drink. Fast forward a year later to the event in Numbers 20. The people come to Moses and say, hey, I'm thirsty. We need something to drink. We're going to die out here. A real need. So Moses grumbles to the Lord. He says, what are we going to do with these people? And then the the Lord tells Moses not to strike the rock as he did a year earlier to a similar situation. But in Numbers 20, verse 8, he tells Moses, you are to tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you have a similar occurrence. Two different commands were given by God revealing to do something similar in their life but not the exact same. And so what Moses does is he hears the commands of God both times. Exodus 17, he's obedient to it. In Numbers 20, what he does, when hearing God tell Moses, speak to the rock, Moses goes to the rock, most likely out of aggravation and frustration and probably because this is the way it happened before. And he takes his staff and he hits the rock twice. We think, well, that's, that's, a, that's not that big of a deal, right? I mean, it's similar to what he did before, but here's the problem. That's not what God told him to do. On top of that, when Moses does that, in verse 10, he speaks to the people of Israel and says, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And what Moses does in that moment is he places himself and Aaron before the people of Israel as their provider. Not shall the Lord bring it, but shall we bring it. And then he nails the rock two times, and the Lord comes to Moses and says, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. And so Moses would end up leading his God's people for the next 38 years in faithfulness, knowing that he's not going to get to go to the place. So I read that and I say, well, isn't that what Moses was commissioned to do? Wasn't Moses commissioned to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land? And that's a misinterpretation in Scripture. God never told Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when he commissioned him from the burning bush that Moses wasn't in fact fact going to make it to the promised land. Matter of fact, the commissioning is you're going to go to Egypt and lead my people out of bondage and toward the promised land. So God doesn't go back on his word, which is what is being played out here in Joshua chapter 1 verse 2, is God did not go back on his word. So no matter how how great Moses was, no matter how much he was righteous, no matter how much he was faithful, his righteousness, his faithfulness could not override, overrule, or change the eternal promise, word, will, purpose, and plan of God. And the same thing goes for us. 
no matter how righteous we think we are, no matter how faithful we are in our church attendance or our tithing or whatever we consider the Christian thing to do, it does not override, overrule, or change the Word of God. And so we come to our situation here in Joshua where the Lord declares to Joshua and the Israelites, my so- Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving them to the people of Israel. And so how does this relate to us today? Well, in Scripture, there are three types of death mentioned. There's a physical death, a spiritual death, and an eternal death. Now, physical death is something we've all experienced in our life or we will experience unless Jesus Christ returns and takes us. Physical death is a reminder of our mortality. It reminds us every time we go to a funeral, every time we have a passing of a loved one, that they were an individual that had sin that was in their body. It was something they were wrestling with, whether that was redeemed by Jesus Christ or not. Physical death is a reminder every time that we are sinners. The only reason we die physically is because of sin. Now, spiritual death is something we all are born with. So spiritual death is is the sinful nature inside of us that produces a spiritual dying. It keeps us from the promises and the will and the plan of God, and it cuts us from the presence of God. It is separating us from the relationship we have with God. And though we all may die physically, what Jesus did is he came to pay our price of sin so we wouldn't have to be dead spiritually. So when we accept Jesus Christ, we come alive in Christ. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I come to give you life and give it abundantly. This is what he's speaking about, is that our spiritual death is now we are spiritually alive. We are spiritually redeemed. On top of that, When I am forgiven by Jesus Christ and I accept and place my faith in his death and his resurrection, I now no longer have to fear the eternal death. And what the eternal death is, we all are born spiritually dead. We all are going to physically die. And unless our spiritual death or dying isn't taken care of, we will meet an eternal death, which is what the Bible refers to as hell. That is complete separation. The deal is sealed. No more chances. It's all over. And so you may be here this morning. What we all have in common is we all will physically die unless Jesus Christ returns. But you may be here this morning and you are, in fact, spiritually dead as well. Because Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. You've not placed your faith in his death and his resurrection, which means you are heading to an eternal death, which is complete judgment by God and the sentencing of hell. But that is not God's promise for your life. That's not his plan for your life. So before you leave this morning, one thing that may change is your spiritual state. But the reality is we as God's people are living in the midst of a walking dead. We're living in the midst of people who are spiritually dead, heading towards an eternal death. And the only thing that has changed us and made a difference in us is that we have Jesus Christ. We are sealed by the Spirit. Well, God comes to Joshua here and to the Israelite peoples to declare something we talked about last week that Joshua and the Israelites already know. Moses, my servant, is dead. But the thing is, there are people here this morning that are spiritually alive, but we are wrestling with a spiritual death. And so we're living, instead of 
alive in Christ, dead in our sin. This is what Paul deals with in Romans 7 when he talks about all the things I want to do, I don't do, and all the things I don't want to do, I do do because that's that sin inside of me. It's that thing that's creating that spiritual death inside of me, and it's what's keeping me from the promise, the presence, and the plan of God. It's what's making me uncomfortable sometimes when I deal with God's people. It's what makes me feel like, ugh, when I go to church and I hear the word of God open, it's because there's this spiritual death, there's this sin inside of me that Satan is trying to keep there to keep me from God's presence and promise. The Israelites are on the verge of God's promise. They can see the promised land. They can smell it. They can sense it. They know where to go. They know what it looks like and how to get there. But the reality is until Moses dies, they could not go. They were stuck. Until the people, the generation before, all the fighting men died. These are parents and grandparents. The Israelites were stuck. And before you and I can get into the presence and the promise of God, there is something in us that probably needs to die or we're going to be stuck. We know where God wants to take us. We know where he wants to lead us. We know the promises of his word. stuck because something needs to die. Something needs to be removed. And this is what God comes to declare to Israel. I have removed the thing that is keeping you from my promise. And it was painful. Deuteronomy tells us it's been 30 days they've been mourning over the passing of Moses remembering those who had passed before they could go into the promise of God. The Bible tells us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will leave. You will live. And Paul is speaking here of a spiritual death. There's things in our life that God wants to remove. And before I could even preach this sermon, man, I had to sit down like, okay, God, I cannot deliver this sermon unless I deal with the things you're wanting to remove from my life. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean I've got it all figured out, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to disappoint you. I, like you, are in the midst of a spiritual battle every single day. I, like you, am going to stumble and fall every single day. But, when God reveals something in my life that needs to be removed and needs to die, I'm either choosing to trust in God's promise or Satan's plan. And this is Satan's plan, to kill, steal, and destroy you. That's Satan's plan. He's going to kill, steal, and destroy you. He has no other intention over your life. But God's plan, God's promise, that you and I may have life and have it abundantly. <coughs> That's where God wants us to go. That's where he wants me to go. That's where he wants your family to go and your relationships to go. But in order for that to happen, sometimes we, there are things that God is telling us need to die and be removed. Otherwise, we will be just like the Israelites. We know the promises of God. We know what God wants in our life. We know what God has spoken over our life. But we're stuck. see it, sense it, smell it, hear it, but we're spiritually stuck.
And so how does God do this? How does God reveal the things that need to die? In our life? Well, the first thing he does, what he does here in Joshua chapter one, is God reveals it. Moses, my servant, is dead. Not something Joshua didn't know, not something the Israelites didn't know. They're fully aware of it. They've been here for 30 days mourning over the passing of their leader. But this is what God does in our own life. Is sometimes he just comes in and reveals something. It's not something we don't know. I mean, it's like that thing, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. You ever had that moment? That was stupid. It's that moment where God reveals something that has already been revealed, but he just kind of reminds us of that. It, it, it's one of my favorites. And the reason it's one of my favorites is because when God reveals something in that little, just a little nice way, you know, that, 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 that died, you know, you shouldn't do that or you should do that. Because it's the nicest way for me, because a lot of times what we do, if you can relate, is we keep it to ourselves. God reveals something in our lives that should die off, that should be removed. And when he does it in just the revelation part, we just keep it to ourselves. We keep it personal. Why? Because if I tell you, if I tell Jen what God has revealed, the things that needs to die off in my life, what's going to happen? Well, Jen can now keep me accountable to that. And if I don't tell her, then I can just keep it to myself. It's like my own little private message from God and but the problem is, is when God reveals things in our life that we need to be done with. We, we no longer should be a part of. We should no longer attach ourselves to. It's not for ourselves. Joshua could not hide the revealing that Moses is dead from the Israelites. Couldn't. It was pretty obvious. And the thing we forget in church that should seem obvious is every person in here is, is damaged by sin. We are all sinful human beings. We all struggle with sin. So when an individual comes to you and reveals, hey, I'm struggling with this, we shouldn't take it as like, whoa. But the reality is we should like, you know, I'm struggling with this. And God has revealed this. And how has God revealed? Well, sometimes it's the, the preacher says something like smoking, drinking, gambling, cheating, lying, committing adultery. Uses words like that, and that's the situation we're in, and God reveals that, and so we can keep it to ourselves. Because let's be honest, we don't have people giving testimonies to church very often to come up here in front and say, you know what, I just need to testify that God has revealed to me I need to stop uh, cheating on my wife. I need to stop lying and stealing from my employer. I need to stop whatever. We just don't have testimonies like that in church. But the, the fact is the revelation that God gives us, when he comes to reveal to us in a very subtle way, in a very peaceful and loving way, it's not so I can keep it to myself. It's not so I can try to get through that in isolation. But it's so that I can turn to God's people and find strength and encouragement in their words. And so if an individual comes to you and shares that I am struggling with this, I am wrestling with this, and I know I shouldn't do that, if your response is, then you need to come off your high horse. Because you're a sinner just like they're a sinner. Their sin just may have been manifested differently. The reality that Moses was a sinner is the fact that he was dead. 
And it doesn't matter what title you have or how long you've been in church. If you're still on this side of eternity, you are still wrestling with sin. You're still struggling with sin. And God is still trying to transform you in the act of sanctification. And so every single day, he's going to be revealing things in your life that he's trying to cut out of your life. And it might be a hobby. It might be a relationship. It might be an attitude. It might be ill feelings towards someone. It might be a grudge. It might be an unforgiving heart. And God keeps revealing that and revealing that. And you're going to come down to one or two options. You're going to be a Peter or a Judas. Peter denied Christ. Judas betrayed Christ. Peter sought reconciliation. Judas turned completely from God and took matters into his own hands. And so you're going to get so spiritually sick when God reveals these things that you're either going to turn to God and God's people or you're going to completely abandon Him altogether because you're just tired of feeling that way. And I've encountered tons of people who have done that. And God comes first to reveal. And then you notice the second part is God comes and He removes that. Moses, my servant, is dead. It was a removal by God, but it, because until Moses died, until all the fighting generation had died, the parents and grandparents had died, the Israelites were going to be stuck where they were. And so God comes and declares to Joshua and the Israelites that I have removed the thing that has been keeping you from my promise. And when God comes to remove something in our life, I, I just want to give you forewarning, it is painful. Because a lot of times it's very public. And the only reason God has to do it that way is because we would not listen to his revealing and his gentle nudges. You need to stop doing that. It's killing you. It's destroying you. It's stealing your joy. You're to heaven me. God comes and says, you need to start doing this. And when we don't listen to God, the Bible says, when we know the things we should do and we don't do, that's sin. And that makes us dead, spiritually dead. And because God wants our good. God wants your good. He wants you, you to have your best life found in him. When we don't listen to God, what God ultimately has to do is he has to come like he did with the Israelites and he has to remove that thing that is keeping you from his promise. It's keeping you from his presence. And it hurts. It's painful. Because like I say, a lot of times, like we find here in Joshua, it becomes very public. And so we as believers, at times we are tempted when those public things happen to get back on our high horse and we pretend like we're all holy and righteous. I've had many, many friends in the ministry, many friends that I have respected, many individuals I've respected that have had God come and have to remove them or remove something in their life, but had to do it in a very public way. I've seen ministries fall apart. I've seen marriages fall apart. I've seen uh, people I've respected just kind of lose that respect in my mind. 
All because it's not that God wasn't speaking to that person leading to that moment. It's because they were choosing not to be a part of God's promise and be in Satan's plan. And the temptation for us is when we see individuals, God's children, God's people in our life, and God comes and removes that situation from their life, the temptation for us is to get all high and mighty and righteous. But the reality is what we're called to do is to come and wrap ourselves around them, to pray for them, to let them know that they're not alone, to let them know that we are here with them. Notice that, that the Lord says to Joshua, Yes, my Moses, my servant is dead, but go over this Jordan, you and all this people. So in the midst of this re removal, in the midst of this revealing, what God speaks to Joshua is like, look, you are not alone. You're not going over this Jordan by yourself. You and all this people are going because that's my promise, not only for you, but for all this people. But I had to remove these things that were keeping you from my promise. And so what God does is he reveals these things, which we love, and then he removes these things, which are painful. But ultimately, when God does that, instead of seeking isolation, we have to see what God is wanting to do. God rallies. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our defeat, in the midst of our falling short, in the midst of our battles, in the midst of our public display that we are a sinful human being, God rallies around us. That is a God who loves you. And the way God rallies around you is he surrounds you with people already that are to walk through this with you. He tells Joshua, you and all these people. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And so God in his infinite knowledge, his grace, his love, and his mercy has surrounded us in this moment. Look around you. In this moment, God has already rallied around you despite our sinful nature in his grace and his love and his knowledge, people to walk with you through whatever you're struggling with. That's his promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's a promise that he knows everything about you and me. Everything we don't want anybody else to know. In the midst of that, in the midst of our disobedience and our lack of faith, God still rallies around us. He still claims us. And then he places people around us to help us through it. We have to understand that Joshua wasn't to turn to every single individual in Israel, just like you wouldn't have to turn to every single individual who calls themselves a Christian. Not every individual who calls themselves a Christian by the name of Christ is a good resource for you to turn to and allow to rally around you. But there are good ones. And you know who those people are. They're those people that you know that you can tell just about anything to. And they will take that and they will pray for you. They will walk through you with that because they actually love you. They have the best in mind for you. Yes, they may be disappointed. Yes, they may be taken back. But their love for you is too deep to walk away. And those are the type of people that God rallies around us. In those times where he has to remove things. Here's something we all need when we're talking about this issue of sin and what may be keeping us spiritually dead. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. 
We lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That word cleanse means to be, be clean physically, spiritually, and morally. It goes on in verse, this is from 1 John chapter 1. If, if we say we have no sin, if we say we're all holy and righteous and I can't believe so-and-so did that, we deceive ourselves and hear this, the truth is not in us. So here's a change right here. Everyone in this room is a human being. Say amen if you're a human being. Everyone in this room has sin in their life. That's the truth. And sometimes God has to speak light into our dark places, speak truth into our lies that we're buying into to get us out of Satan's plan of killing, stealing, and destroying us, to move us into his presence and his promise. And so when someone reveals to you that they are struggling with something and you become all high and mighty, you better check your relationship with God because Satan is trying to take you out of his promise. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth, Jesus Christ, is not in us. But if we confess our sins, hear this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So maybe there's something in your life that God has been revealing and reminding. That's got to go. This is keeping you from where I want you to be. Sooner or later, God's going to have to step in because he wants what's best for you and he's going to have to remove it. For me, it was removing me out of a situation that was corrupting my heart. My heart was becoming hard, judgmental, bitter, angry. So God had to take me out of that for my good, and it was painful. But it was for my good. In the midst of that, when I felt alone and isolated, what God did is he rallied around me with his people. I saw the truth of his word. I'm not in this alone. You're not in this alone. Whatever sin you're struggling with, you're not alone. Matter of fact, I bet there's someone in this room struggling with the exact same thing as you are. There's nothing new under the sun. But God is bringing you to this moment to call you and to call me as he's calling Joshua to trust him. Are we going to allow God to move us out of that place that is keeping us stuck in faith to the promise where God wants to take us? It was for the church as well. If you're struggling with something, the first thing you need to know is you're not alone. The Bible paints a very clear picture of that. But if you're also struggling with something, the fear right now that Satan's trying to speak to your life is you can't do that. And you just holler back at Satan, you're right, I can't, but Jesus did. And so God, understanding this is a step of faith, comes to Joshua and speaks to him in verse 7, 7 and 8 to give him instructions. And I'll just summarize them because we'll get to them here in a couple weeks. 
If God's calling you out of Satan's plan into his promise, here's what you need to do. Get in his word beyond Sunday morning. Get in his word. You should have it on your phone, on your tablet. You should have it on you. And whenever Satan comes to bring you back into his plan and out of God's promise, just open his word. There is power. You may not understand it all. Welcome to the club. But get in his word. He tells Joshua in those verses to pray on God's word. So if you're struggling with certain sin, man, find a passage of scripture that speaks to that and why you should be doing that or not be doing that particular action. Memorize that passage of scripture. And when Satan comes to attack you, because he will, because we're in the midst of a spiritual battle, when he comes to attack you, you just pray the word of God at that. Feed on his word. Just keep reading, keep getting into it. Focus and live it out. Because this is what we've got. This is the only thing we've got when it comes to Satan's tactics. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. That's his plan for your life. You might be here this morning and thinking your sin is too great. Pastor, if you knew actually what I did, if you knew what I'm actually struggling with in this moment, you understand that I can't do it what the Word of God is telling me to do. You need to understand this. Moses' lack of faith came 38 years before the Israelites entered the Promised Land. Yet God still used an unfaithful leader to lead His people. 38 years. You also may be thinking, well, I, I can't do those things because, because of that. God used Moses for 38 years, and for 38 years, Moses was faithful, despite knowing the reality of the events. So whatever you've got in your life, whatever you think is just the unforgivable sin, you need to understand that's not how God works. He works on grace and mercy and His faithfulness, not ours. So we come to this moment where God is calling us in his love to trust him and step into his promise and into his presence. And in this moment, as we come to a time of invitation, here's where it's going to be the temptation. If I go up there, people are going to wonder. People are going to, they might judge me. They might think I don't have it all together. I'm standing up here too. I don't have it all together either. And it's not between me, it's not between anybody else, between you and God. If God is speaking to you, he's doing that because he loves you and he wants to take something out of your life so you can experience his presence and his promise just as he did here with Joshua. But you may be here this morning and you have another thing going on. Is that you, we're all aware that physical death is going to happen, but you're here this morning and you're spiritually dead. You're still in your sin, and your spiritual death is leading to your eternal death. But God has brought you here to this moment to change that. He does not put a criteria in his book that you have to have it all figured out, that you have to have it all together. You need to interact back in works. He doesn't do any of that. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's by faith, not by works, that we are justified before God. So you may be here this morning, you're spiritually dead because you're still in your sin because you have yet to confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. 
You let it be known that you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again, which he did. The Bible says, when I admit that I'm a sinner, which basically means I'm human, I'm a sinner, but I believe God loves me that much, that he sent his only son to die for my sin on a cross, and he rose on the third day that I might be completely forgiven, justified. That word means just as if I'd never sinned in the first place before a holy God. The Bible says, if I believe that, then I have to confess it. That word means I have to let it be known publicly. I know that's nerve-wracking, but don't let Satan keep you in his plan. God has brought you to this moment to change your spiritual death to being spiritually alive and your eternal death to be obsolete. But it only comes through Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand down here. I'm going to invite Jackson to come up and lead us in time invitation. If you're here and you need Jesus... Come down and let it be known. Pastor, I, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. If you're here and God has been reminding you as he's been reminding me all week, you got to love God's subtle reminders because they feel like daggers in the heart. It's because he loves us. But you're here and there's just something you're struggling with and you have just this fear in your heart. You don't know how it's going to work. You don't know if you can even do it. You don't know if you have the strength. You understand God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control. So that fear is not God speaking in this moment. Maybe you just need to come and lay that before the Father and ask for his forgiveness. I don't know, but I know God has spoken to you as he's spoken to me this week. It's time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you that you never leave us to forsake us and that you come in these moments and you reveal things that need to go and sometimes you need to remove them. Lord, we come this time to respond to what you've been speaking to our hearts up to this Sunday, what you've been speaking to our hearts just in this moment, to respond to your loving words. It speaks life and truth and leads us in the way of everlasting. Father, I also thank you and I praise you that you also know we're like sheep. We're stubborn. We like to do things our own way. Lord, come and be our shepherd. Guide us to the place we need to be. I pray for the individuals here this morning that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, your spirit would just press upon them and bring them to a place of repentance, which only your spirit can do. That they might become alive in you. Give us, Lord, if we failed you in any time, in any places we've heard you speak to our own hearts. Thank you for that act of kindness. Praise all in Jesus' name. Stand as we sing. I invite you to come.